Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Amuna. Please help yourself to some coffee and some refreshments. Everyone is invited and encouraged to stay afterwards to continue to schmooze and to continue to welcome new members who've moved in. We have some new faces and we're so grateful that you've chosen to live in our community on your way to living in Israel. So uh, it's great to have you and please stay in schmooze afterwards. I want to thank our generous sponsors, the Amuna series for the year, Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, Zuchron Levrach, in memory of Bella's mother, Ellen Shanzer. Thank you so much for that generous sponsorship. This morning's share is also sponsored by Rasan Adas Summers, Lila Nishma, Sachyanitz Nofar Bas Urit, Viaron Shimon, Biyom Hashanot Tirata, on the first year site of her passing, Neshama Shalav and Aliyah. And also, finally, this morning is co sponsored by Sylvia Brody. And we're going to throw in by Rabbi Josh Brody. In loving memory, as usual, his mother making him look good. In loving memory of Asher Yosef Brody's 19th year at sight, beloved husband, father, and grandfather. He's a special man. I was privileged to have known him. And his neshama should have an aliyah as well. Thank you all for that generous sponsorship. Also, a reminder before we dive back into the Amuna. We all need our healthy dose of Amuna, our jolt of Amuna. If you would like to receive a newsletter in your inbox every week, that has the shiurim, the article, and a write-up of the Parsha shir, notes from the Parsha shir, so that you have a Dvar Torah for your table. Then take out your phone right now, turn it to vibrate first of all, but second of all, if you text the following number, text the letters REG, REG to 22828, text the letters REG to 22828, and you could sign up for a newsletter to have everything you need in your inbox. Okay, we are continuing to learn together this wonderful new sefer called He'aros, it is a collection of the thoughts, the insights of Rav Shlomo Volba, the great Mashkiach of Yerushalayim. And he's been walking us through the notion of Emuna and the notion of Bitachon. The challenge that so many have in davening, that's how he began this essay. He began with the question he received from an educator in Israel who said when the Rebbe walks out of the room, when the Mora walks out for a moment, like my teacher in high school used to trade stocks in the payphone next to our classroom, I told you about. So when the Rebbe walks out, everybody stops davening. In other words, they're only davening because they're scared. They're only davening because they're afraid. They're only davening because they're worried they're going to get in trouble. How do we get them to daven? Even when the Rebbe, the Mora, even when the parent steps out, even when the parent is not there, how do we make sure our children continue and keep and still daven? And Revolba's answer, which is so profound and so important, which is true for children and it's true for adults, is that the challenge of davening is not davening. The challenge is not the sitter, that the Hebrew is inaccessible, or that the ideas are lofty, or that we don't really understand what they mean. All of that is a challenge, don't get me wrong. If I handed you a book in Chinese and said, say this every day out loud, phonetically, you can't read the Chinese, but say it every day out loud, you'd say, how many days can I do that? One day, one week, but three times a day for the rest of my life, I'm gonna read a Chinese phone book without understanding one word in it? So yeah, if we don't understand one word of the sitter, how can we expect to get anything out of it? But much more fundamental is if we don't believe that we're in the presence of God, if we don't believe that we're having an audience with the Almighty, if we don't believe that we're having a conversation with the King of Kings, then of course you can't daven. It doesn't even begin. Don't bother opening the sitter. So simply talk to a wall. That's the other analogy. Imagine I said to you three times a day for the rest of your life, I want you to walk up to the wall, face the wall, and talk to the wall. Okay, one day you did it, you'd say, fine, I want to make you happy. Two days, by the third day, they'd put you in an insane asylum. To walk up to a wall and talk to a wall, be out of your mind. But meanwhile, one of the most authentic and beautiful, inspiring davenings that I ever eavesdropped on, that I over overheard, once overheard by accident, was someone talking to a wall. The wall happened to have been the Kotel. 
and I was standing next to an older, I think, Taimani Yemenite man. And I didn't mean to, but he was speaking pretty loudly in his conversation to God. And I've never in my life experienced such an authentic conversation. He was filling God in on everyone in his family. And my daughter this, and then my son is having this issue. Oh, but thank you, Hashem. The thing I spoke to you about last week, it ended up working out, and I'm sure you had a part in it, so I want to thank you for that. But look, this week, this thing is going on, and I could really use your help. And let me tell you about my mother. Her health is failing, and it's so painful. And I'm standing there. I didn't say one word. I wasn't davening at all. I could tell you everything about the Temani man's life right now. And I felt extraordinarily guilty and invasive that I was listening to the conversation he was having. But if anyone would look, if the atheist or agnostic would look and they would say, here's a man talking to a wall. Somebody get the straitjacket. Somebody get, you know, back in the truck. We're going to take him away. We're putting him in the insane asylum. Here's an old man. He's lost it. It's official. It's absolutely official. He's lost it. He is standing and talking to a wall. But we know he's not talking to a wall. He's not just touching the wall. The wall's touching him. The wall's talking to him. Is what that wall represents. And it's any wall that we stand in front of, the wall of the shul, or the wall of our home, or the wall of the kotel, or the wall, please God, we will merit the wall of the Beis HaMikdash. It's not the wall that we're talking to, it's Hashem. He's everywhere, like Uncle Moshe taught us. He's here, there, and everywhere. So wherever you are, you take those three steps forward, now you're in front of Hashem. It's one of the beautiful parts about davening. You know, in Israel especially, but you could see it on parts of the throughway and the parkway in New Jersey up to the mountains. But cars pulled over on the side of the road, and someone's davening. Wherever you are and whatever's happening, on an airplane, on the side of a highway, in our living room, and certainly at shul. Wherever you are, you take those three steps forward and you are transported to another place. You're no longer geographically the coordinates where you were standing. By taking three steps forward, you transport yourself, you know, like Star Trek, like beam me up. You are beamed up from wherever you are. It's an amazing power that we have. If you take three steps forward, you're no longer where you were. There's a force field around you. There's no kids fighting in the next room. There's no one calling your name. There's no talking behind you. There's no to-do list. There's no chaos. There's no pressure. There's no anxiety. You take those three steps forward and you're back in the Garden of Eden. You take those three steps forward and you are zoomed up and you're beamed to a safe and a secure and a happy place, a place where you're in front of Hashem. You're now in His Oval Office. You're now in His inner chamber. You're now in whatever is that place that you picture in your mind that feels like I'm in front of the person who could be the solution to any problem I have. I'm in front of the person who has the power to change anything I need changed. I'm in front of the person to whom I have to express the deepest debt of gratitude. I'm in front of the person who saved my life. He saves my life over and over. Every day that I wake up and open my eyes, he has saved my life over and over and over again. So the idea that Revolba is, is trying to communicate to us and through us for our children, for our families, is that the problem doesn't begin when you get to Shul and you open the shitter. When you open the shitter, you're like, I don't connect to this. It doesn't do anything for me. I'm not interested. I met recently with uh, the head of Art Scroll, happened to be in town in Florida, very special, wonderful man, Rabbi Zlatowicz, and I happened to meet with him this past week and he told me that the genre of, of we talked all about Art Scroll, it was fascinating, we tried to get him on behind the bima to learn about the evolution, the contributions of Art Scroll, what Art Scroll's done for Torah learning, it's really, really extraordinary. And um, so I was asking him, you know, what they're working on, and he said, the number one thing that they have requests for, that there's a dearth of, is Siddur, is davening, is tefillah. So first of all, I told him I happen to know a guy who gives a decent sitter snippets every day and maybe that could one day be turned into something. But uh, we spoke about the fact that the problem is not once you get to the sitter. If you open up the sitter and you say, I don't connect this, I don't relate to this, I'm out of here. It's too late almost. 
The problem is even before you get in the room, do you know before whom you're standing? Are you in the presence of Hashem? Have you ever had a conversation not from the sitter? I often like to say, if you never talk to God when the sitter's closed, you certainly can't talk to God when the sitter's open. If you never ever feel I'm in the presence, I can thank him, I could ask for him, I could protest with anger at him. But if I never talk to God when the sitter's closed, how in the world are you gonna to talk to God when the sitter's open? It's much harder. The words are a barrier. The lack of understanding comprehension is a barrier. Sometimes being in shul is a barrier. People talking around us, I don't like the chazan, I don't like the rabbi, it's too cold, it's too hot. For this group, it's too cold. I don't like, uh, there's always a barrier, there's problems in shul. So if I never talk to God when the sitter's closed, I don't talk to him in my car, and I don't talk to him in my kitchen, and I don't talk to him when I'm uh, going for a walk, and I never talk to him. I never talk to him. I'm never in conversation with God. Then how can I ever talk to him once the sitter's open? Every bar and bat mitzvah young person that I meet with, I give the same spiel for the last 20 plus years. It's time probably to update it. Uh, but it includes the fact that I encourage them. I say, now that you are of age, now that Hashem sees you as a mature, budding adult, the way that he knows you believe in him is if you talk to him. So they'll say, oh yeah, I, I, I sit here in shul, and camp, and school. We daven, and they give out a sitter, and I daven, and I love that. I say, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you have a soccer game tomorrow. I'm talking about you have a test tomorrow. I'm talking about you're struggling on your homework. I'm talking about you're fighting with your siblings. I'm talking about you had an issue with your friends. Do you talk to God? Do you tell him, I need your help. I want to win the soccer game. Help me, help the teacher only ask the questions on the things that I studied. And when you get back to grade, do you ever stop when you get back to grade and say, thank you. This good grade is your answering my tefillah from yesterday. We talked about that last week. We're always in the asking for mode, but do we ever stop and say thank you for the, when God said yes. We always ask and we always call him out when it feels like he said no, but do we ever stop and say thank you for when he said yes. The blessings of today are the yes to the prayers of yesterday. But do we ever stop and say yes, thank you. Thank you for the yes of yesterday. So no, no young person, no bar bat mitzvah or adolescent or teenager or adult will connect to God through the sitter if they don't connect with God outside the sitter. If we don't talk to him when we put the kugel in the oven, if we don't talk to him on the way into the boardroom, the operating room, on the courtroom, if we don't talk to him on the drive, if we don't ever talk to him, like the Temani man at the Kotel, let me tell you what's going on in my life. Thank you for yesterday. First of all, this, that, and the other worked out. Speech went well, the technology held up. Thank you, this thing happened. Thank you, you know, that person said yes to that major donation. Thank you, Hashem. I asked you for guidance, I asked you for help, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for yesterday. Now let's talk about today. Every morning when I die, I shouldn't say that, not every morning. On many mornings, I try to, in my davening, think about what do I have on tap today? What do I need his help for? What do I thank him for for yesterday? And what's on tap for today? There's the program, there's the class, there's the big meeting, there's the experience, there's the parent-teacher conference, there's the what, what's on tap today I want his help for? What's on tap? By the way, God, you're coming to parent-teacher conferences. Instead of me, I don't usually go, but you're coming to parent-teacher conferences. He belongs in the room. He's one of the parents. The Gemara says in Kedushin that every child has three parents, a mother, a father, and God. So whatever we're gonna hear in that room, God, you're, you gotta take responsibility too. You gotta, you gotta lose some sleep too. You've gotta help. You, you are the biggest one positioned to be able to help for the parent-teacher conference in that room, in that room too. So if we never talk to Hashem on the drive to parent-teacher conference, we don't talk to Hashem when we're trying to cut that deal or work on what we're working on, it'll never happen in the sitter. The same is true in davening. The most important part of davening are not the words we say. The reason we have the words we say is if 
our rabbis didn't institute that you have to daven. And here's the text. And we only davened when we felt like it. How often would we really daven? So they put it in place to obligate us, to create some consistency, to build some momentum and some traction. But that's not the most authentic davening. That's not the most authentic davening. The most authentic davening are the words that I add in between. Shema koleinu, atachonein. Hashem, I'm working on a class. Please give me some great ideas. Hashivenu, Hashem, I made my mistakes. Please help me come back. Help me purify my soul. Hashem, rifa'enu. Here's a list of people I know who are sick. I need you. Intervene, please. Their pain is my pain. I'm in pain because they're not well. And the list, Hashiva shoftenu, Hashem, there are injustices. There are agunas who need to be set free. There are people who are, there are injustices in this world. God, we need your help. The Shemona Esrei is a template. It's a template, but it's just a template. You know, yet there are all kinds of templates for invitations. There's a template for a resume. There's a template for an email. There's a template for a flyer. But imagine if we had a program, we just hung up the template. It's just blank, it's gibberish, it's promoting a make-believe program in a church from 400 years ago. It's a template. If you hang up the template, it's there to get you started. But now you've got to add your own language. So the sitter's a template, it's there to get us started. But now you've got to add your own language. It's not a fake resume template. Make it your own. Acquire it, it's yours. Make it your own. So that's what davening is supposed to be. That's what Revolba has been taking us through here in these, uh, in these ideas. And uh, we last left off where the world is filled with pleasure and possibility, like a cup of coffee. I think we found a slogan to put on our coffee cups finally. Got to still fine tune it, but I want to put on the cup, count your blessings, make this blessing count. Something like that. We talked about producing disposable coffee cups with a slogan that would help us our first blessing of the day. Cup of coffee. A cup of coffee for me is an IV drip. It's a life force. A cup of coffee is like, it's like your phone is on 1% and you find an outlet or the person with the charger and you want to give them the Nobel Peace Prize. You're ready to like transfer over your whole bank account. Like you saved my life, my life. So that cup of coffee is like the charge, like I'm on 1%. It's not supposed to happen after a night's sleep, but you're on 1%. Cup of coffee is the, is the, is the pl- oh, you've got a, pl- you've got a battery? Psst, unbelievable. So that deserves a bracha, and that starts our day off with brachas. A hundred times a day, we talked about. Revolba encouraged us, pay attention for 10 of them. I say start with one of them. That first bracha of the day, count your blessings by making this first blessing count. And that'll get the day started the right way. So we're going to make our, we're going to make our, we have to fine tune it, we need a logo. You know, all those things. We're going we're gonna to make these coffee cups. Okay. So we're up to Osiod. We're on page Pehe 85, letter Yud, paragraph 10. And the Volbit says the following. HaGemara Omeris, the Talmud says, Oh, I mistimed my bracha right there. I should have read this paragraph and then had my first sip of coffee. But you all did pretty well. Your Amen was emphatic. It was a good Amen. It was a strong Amen. Why are we supposed to answer Amen with all of our energy? The Talmud says in Mesech Shabbos that when you answer Amen, you don't whisper an Amen. Whenever I walked by, one of the members of my family mumbled a blessing before they ate. I said, you just deprived me of an Amen. Say it out loud. You just connected God to whatever you're eating. You just brought him into our home. You just opened up the shades and allowed a little bit more light. Let me in. Let me be part of it. Say it out loud. Let me say Amen. People are shy. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed cover their mouth, they mumble at work in Starbucks, said that was the only redeeming part of masks. 
You could make brachas all day long. Nobody knew what you were doing. An Asha Yatzar, you could stand in the hall making an Asha Yatzar for 20 minutes. No one knew what you were doing. So if you answer, Amen Bekol Kocho, Kolaona, Amen Bekol Kocho, you hear someone make a bracha, Amen, a big Amen. So the gates of Gan Eden are opened for you. My Amen, what is Amen? Amar Bechanina Kel Melch Ne'eman. The word Amen, give me an Amen. Sometimes you wish you were, you know, we need to incorporate a little bit of that energy. Give me an give me an amen. So an amen. So Rabbi Chanina says, Amen. Aleph Mem Nun is Kel Melech Neeman, the God, the King who is reliable, who's trustworthy. Perish Rashi, Kach Meira Boroshu Kel Melech Neeman, that a person who says Amen is saying, I affirm, I believe, I believe. He's reliable. He's dependable. He comes through. I'm sticking with him. I'm attaching myself to him. I'm connecting with him. He's got my back. Amen. You didn't know that, that all of that was in a little amen. Someone says, just shakol on coffee. You hear in the chazam, repeat the Shemona Esrei. Someone says, the nashayats are in your vicinity, and you say, amen. You just said, amen. You know, you were given an amen. You didn't realize you were saying, amen, amen. Amen. Yeah, what he said. Yeah, what she said. Yeah. Ditto. I'm with her. What she said. 100% God. Shakol, that everything in the universe, that the whole world and its ambiance and its energy and its blessing, Shakol, that everything, you created it. It's all you. It's all you. That there's no coincidence, there's no chance, there's nothing that's random. Amen. It's all from you. The power of an amen. What is the power of an amen? It opens the gates of the Garden of Eden. We were kicked out. We were expelled. We were chucked. We were, don't come back. But if you answer amen, you get to give a peek. The gates are opened a little bit. Revolben in a moment is going to explain what that means. We studied this previously. This, I told you, was a collection of Revolba's teachings. We studied this in the primary source when Revolba said it, in one of our other many, many moons ago. We're up to 200 and something Muna Shiurim. So we studied it a long time ago. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great Muna story. I went to a bris. Our own Talia Bornstein had a baby boy, Baruch Hashem. And uh, the bris was on Monday. And I walked into the bris in the mall, Rabbi Selmar's there. And Rabbi Selmar, big simcha, if you know Rabbi Selmar. He says, oh, I have to tell you something. I said, what is it? He says, you're not going to believe this Hashkacha Prata story. You won't believe this story. His daughter was in labor. and She was driving to the hospital. And she was very agitated, in a lot of pain. I'm told it can be painful, labor. <laughs> not as bad as gout, but it can be painful. So uh, she was in labor, in pain. And she said to her husband, I want to distract myself by listening to a shear. Let's put on one of Goldberg's shear and we'll put on Living with Amuna. And she randomly picked a shear out of the 200 and it happened to have been a shear, I don't even remember this, that we were talking about labor pains and being in labor and enduring the pain because what it's worth at the end and the giving birth. And on the way to the hospital, the class that she happened to turn on happened to be about enduring that pain because it's worth it when the, when the arrival comes, what you give birth, the birth pangs are worth the birth, what you've given birth to. And it was just a coincidence, right? Just random, right? No, of course not. Hashem is the greatest DJ in the sky. Hashem is the orchestrates all the playlists. You think that, that it was a coincidence that song came on the radio? You think that saying song came on Yecheved's amazing Apple Jewish music playlist just when you needed to hear that or be moved by that melody? You think that that shir when you randomly picked one, it was random? It's all from him. It's all from above. So give him an amen. Give him the amen as he makes the bracha. When God makes the bracha, and when things work out and things come together, I'll tell you another great Amuna story. I have a few for today. I'll have to save some for next week. But... I have another one. I got an email from somebody in Lakewood. 
I was on a podcast that comes out of Lakewood a couple weeks ago, and on the podcast, I told the story, and in the story, I mentioned a Dvar, a Dvar Torah from my uncle, Olav HaShalom, Rabbi Ilazar, who my uncle was a very special person. He died very suddenly, very sadly. Um, and when he died, his family had put out a collection of the Divrei Torah he gave at family events, and there was a certain insight he gave at a bris of a grandchild, and I love the insight. Fine, I'll tell it to you quickly, only because you're insisting. <laughs> but I'll tell it to you very quickly, but we have, to, we have to actually come back to this. Remind me where we were as we take our detour. Remind me how to get back to the highway. So he said the following, we say at a bris, Zakatan gadol yiyeh. May this little child, may this little pitzkala become gadol, may they become great. So the simple understanding is right now they fit in the palm of my hand. Right now I'm holding them on pillow on my lap. May they become big, tall, strong, and great. May they become great. Rabbi Salavitchik had another insight. The sun is called the Ma'or HaGadol. The sun is the great light. In the Torah, in creation, go back to Genesis. And the moon is the Ma'or HaKatan. It's the small light. Why do they get that name? Rashi there says, Gadol, Ma'or HaGadol, the sun is the great light. Its greatness is when you're the source of light. The moon is called the small light because the moon only reflects the light of the sun. So something small is just reflecting another, whereas something great is the source themselves. So the sun is the great light, it's the source of light. The moon is the small light, it's just a reflection of light. Soloveitchik said that's what we mean when we say, Zeakatan, this little reflection. Right now they're a child, they're mimicking, they're imitating, they're just a reflection of their parents, their teachers, their friends. Gadol may they become a source of great light themselves. That's his interpretation. But my uncle, Allah Vashalom, said, Zeakatan, may this little one, Gadol, read it, Gadol Mimenu Yehiyeh, Mimeni Yehiyeh. May this one who's smaller than me right now, I know more Torah, I'm smarter, I lived life experience, I know more SAT words, I, I've lived, I'm smarter. May this little katan who right now knows nothing, experienced nothing, is nothing, gadol mimeni, that for a Jewish parent, the greatest hope and aspiration is that they surpass me. Too many people, that's what I said on this podcast, but I'll repeat it now. Too many people, unfortunately, tragically, they want their children to exceed them in academics. Be smarter. I just went to whatever school, you go to the Ivy League. I finished at this level, you get extra degrees. I make this money, make more money, be more accomplished, have more fame, have more followers, more friends. And then when it comes to religious life, many people, they say, I don't want you to be less religious than me, I'd be very disappointed. But I definitely don't want you to be more religious than me, then I'd be devastated. I need you to be exactly where I am. I come to the nine o'clock minion at 9.40, if you come at 9.45, you're shakets. How could you care not as much as me? You got to come on time. But if you come at 9.30, now, you know, you outfirmed me. Now I'm threatened by that. It's devastating. So that's what my uncle was saying. For a Jewish parent, the biggest nachas in the world should be, be greater than I am. Be more virtuous. Be more righteous. Be more strict. Be a better person, more charitable, more kind, volunteer. Be better, be greater than me. That's our, that's our hope. Good. So that's what I said on this podcast whenever it was a few weeks ago. So this guy from Lakewood emails me. He's got a cafe. And he says, he listened to the podcast, for whatever reason he tuned in. And the next day, in walked my cousin, who he hadn't seen in eight years. And my cousin moved, doesn't live in Lakewood, but was there for a reason I'll tell you in a moment. He hadn't seen him in eight years. He hadn't seen him in eight years. And he says to my cousin, he hasn't seen in eight years, I just heard your cousin on a podcast and he quoted your father. He said, he quoted my father, what did he say? He said this word, it's really our hope is they should be greater. My cousin says, you know why I'm here in Lakewood? He lives in, he lives in Norfolk, Virginia. He says, you know why I'm here? 
because I just had a grandson and the bris is tomorrow morning and you just gave me my Dvar Torah for the bris of my grandson. I'm going to quote my father at the bris of my grandson that I happened to randomly after eight years you didn't see me who you happen to randomly listen to a podcast to hear a person you never met say something in my father's name. All just chance, right? What a coincidence, right? Of course not. Give me an amen. That's an amen. amen. That's an amen. Wow, Hashem. You orchestrated that perfectly. The right timing. The podcast had to come in the right time. He had to have been drawn to listen to it. My cousin had to have walked in while he was there. He happened to have told him that vort. Happened to be there's a bris. Happened to happen to happen to. There's nothing happened to. It's all from Hashem. Sometimes we understand this. Sometimes we see it. And many times we don't. So if you answer Amen, okay, I'm back on the highway. I didn't even need any of you GPS ways. I got back all by myself. Didn't even need MapQuest. That's how good I was. So I got back on the highway. So the Revolba says, if you answer Amen Bekokocho, answer Amen to the actual blessings people say the brachas, but answer Amen to life. When something happens in life and I got that email, I said, Amen. I cut it and I pasted it to our family, Hashkacha Pratis group. And I said, Amen. Hashkacha Pratis story. Give me an amen. It's unbelievable. Hashem, you showed your hand. Most days you're invisible. Most days I'm trying to figure it out. I'm navigating on my own. But you showed your hand. You gave me the directions to see you. To see you. That's an amen. So when you answer amen, the gates of Gan Eden are opened. It seems to me that hidden here is a very deep and a very powerful message. What does it mean that when we answer Amen, the gates of Gan Eden are open and we get to peek inside? So says Revolba, it seems to him the following. What does life look like from the perspective of Gan Eden? What does it look like? From the perspective of Gan Eden, everything makes sense. Everything is coordinated. Everything is orchestrated. Everything is curated. Hashem is in charge, right? From the perspective of Gan Eden, you're looking out on the show from behind the stage. And you see not just the puppets on the stage, but from behind you get to watch the puppeteer and you see the strings. And now you know that there's somebody orchestrating the whole play. When you're in the audience, all you see is the play. And you sit there and you say, I wonder how it ends. I wonder what happens next. I wonder what's in the next act. I wish I could control it. I want to be part of it. I wonder and I pray and I'm anxious when you're in the audience watching the play unfold. But what if you got to be backstage? And what if you got to see the puppeteer, the puppet masters with the strings who are making the whole thing happen? Then you'd say, I'm not anxious. I know there's an end. I know there's an act. I know there's a development. I know what's going to happen. So says Revolba, from Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, when God first created Adam and Chava, man and, and woman, so they lived in a place in which God was revealed in which you could see God everywhere and in everything, in which there was no doubt, there was no uncertainty, there was no hiddenness. Everything made sense, everything was coordinated, everything was true. So says Rav but that's what it means. Really, we wish and we want to live in a world where that's the truth, where I understand why that person's sick or why I didn't get that job or why the shidduch fell through or why the deal didn't happen or why I had to get stuck in traffic. I understand it because it's not random, it's not chance. There is a reason and we want to and crave to live in a world where why I have to wait to have a baby or why I have to be single or why I have to struggle to put bread on the table. So when you answer Amen, what you're saying is, God, I'm living in that world. 
even though I don't see it and can't understand it and can't explain it and can't put it into words, but I feel it. I feel your presence. And I feel comforted and I feel confident that it's all about you and nothing is random or chance. And so, says Ravolba, it makes sense that the reward for saying, God, I'm living as if I'm watching from Gan Eden, is that he opens the gates a little bit to Gan Eden so you can give a peek. That's the world that we want to live in. Everything is Baruch Hashem, Amir Hashem, Chaste Hashem. We want to live in a world where everything makes sense. You know who lived in that world? Many people. But Rebetzin Machlis, Allah Shalom, if you read the book about her. Rebetzin, you have to read that book. If you, I am trying to get Rabbi Machlis to come on behind the bima. Tempted to read to you the text messages because you wouldn't believe them unless I held them up and showed them to you. Rabbi Machlis, who, who is a tzaddik, Yibadul Chaim Tovma, Aruchim, he should live a long and happy and a healthy life, uh, like his wife of blessed memory, Rebetzin Machlis. They're just not from this world. I wrote the article uh, for this week. I put it up last night. I talked about being earth angels. Being angels here on earth. What does it mean to be an angel on earth? The dream Yaakov has of angels going up and down. What do they need a ladder? They can't be beamed up and down? What do they need a ladder for? The answer is angels are not these heavenly bodies who are apart from us. We are angels for one another. We're meant to be angels for one another. We are earth angels. We're angels here on earth. And Yaakov's dream was wake up and go be someone's angel. Be an angel. Don't rely on and don't wait for an angel. Be someone's angel. And I told three great stories, including Henry Heimlich, who is the inventor of the Heimlich Maneuver, who 42 years never performed the Heimlich Maneuver until he was 96 years old in a nursing home and the 84-year-old next to him was choking. And finally, the 96-year-old Henry Heimlich got to perform his own maneuver and saved her life. And she wrote him a beautiful note and called him her angel how great she, grateful she is that God put him in the seat next to her. How grateful. First of all, 96 years old to get up and wrap your arms around someone, and that's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. He invented it and he waited four decades to perform it and shortly after he passed away. He had fulfilled his mission to be an angel. And there's two other great stories. Read the article that we are here to be angels. So Rabbi and Rabbi Tzimachlis, they're angels on earth. There's no other way to describe them. Rabbi Machlis, I tried to recruit to come on behind the bima, and I described it. We have inspiring people. We want to bring the inspiration. And he writes back to me. And if you know Rabbi Machlis, he means this from the bottom of his heart. He says, you must be confused. You said it's a podcast for inspiring people. I'm not sure why you're contacting me. I wrote to him, Rabbi, Ma Rabbi Machlis has 100 people every Friday night in his home. His home is, is, is tiny. It's a fraction of the size of this room. And he has 100 people every Friday night. He has people who live and sleep in the back of his car. His son-in-law, who's a friend of mine, Avram Willig, once borrowed his father-in-law's car, and when he got in the car and started the car, someone from the back said, hey, what are you doing? And he turned around, there was a family sleeping in the back of the car. The, you, the stories, when, when, when Rebetzin Machlis was passing away in Sloan Kettering in New York, and her treatment wasn't going well, and someone came to visit her, and they found her sleeping on a gurney in the hallway, not in the ER, but outside in the hallway of her room, and then looked in the room to see what was happening, and found that there was a homeless person sleeping in her bed in the hospital, and she was sleeping outside on a gurney in the hall. Like, these are just not people from this world. These are angels. By the way, when I tried to convince him that he's an inspiring person, he kept writing back to me, should I ever become such a person, I'll be sure to contact you, and I promise I'll come on your podcast. My whole life I'm trying to be. If I ever become an inspiring person, I'll let you know. I can't get him on. This is not like, you know, go write a book now about me where I said those things kind of thing. Like, this is who he is. This is who he is. It's out of this world. So if you read that book, and I encourage you to read it, 
you'll see that her entire life, Rebetz and Machlis, no matter what was going on in her life, whether it was the illness that took her life, whether it was a child who went off the derech, whether it was fertility issue, whatever was going on in her life with her children, she was always looking into Gan Eden. It's all Hashem. Everything's for a reason. I'm so grateful. I'm so glad. I have such a happiness, such a joy for life. She said amen to whatever Hashem sent her way. And if you're struggling with Amuna, if you're struggling to believe and you're struggling to live that life, read that book. You know who said that? Not me. When Tal Ben Shachar, who taught the most popular class in the history of Harvard, spoke here and gave a seminar on happiness, he said, if you want to grow in your happiness, don't buy my books, don't read self-help books. Read biographies. Biographies. If you want to be inspired, you want to be transformed, read biographies. Read biographies. Because we can see ourselves in those people. They become a precedent for the capacity to pivot and turn ourselves around. Read biographies. And for today's recommendation, I'm recommending Rebetz and Machlis. By the way, they have the full biography, and there's a children's version of the biography. It's great. Yechevet read it with uh, Tamima before Bat Mitzvah. She quoted it, that it's one of the books that, that had a big impact on her. You got to read biographies. I, I'm only invoking her, first of all, because she deserves it. But second of all, because she was the living embodiment of what we're describing, of what we're talking about. We are capable of living here on earth where we have a peak into Gan Eden, where we're not living apart and separate. We can live behind the scenes where we see the puppeteer and the, and the strings. We don't have to be in the audience where we're curious and anxious and, and wondering and doubtful. What will be? What's going to happen? How does it end? What if it doesn't work out? We don't have to be in the audience with fear and worry. We can be behind stage and seeing and reading the script. It's up to us in the way that we answer Amen. It takes us there. I can't believe I didn't even start yet. <laughs> I didn't even start saying anything I wanted to share with you today. Hey, one day I'm going to become a good teacher and figure this out. One day, someday. Okay, I think we have to stop here. I think we've, uh, we've hit our quota, but please God. Homework. Make that first bracha. Homework. I have a group of people that I have a WhatsApp group that we push each other to try to grow and to hold each other accountable for commitments that we make. For this month, the commitment that we make that we're working on ourselves is to have kavana, to have mindfulness with that opening bracha of the day. The first shahakal, the first cup of coffee of the day. So I'm all including you in that group right now. We're going to check in with each other. For next week, your homework. Kavana. Maybe you're not going to make 100 brachas a day. Maybe you're not going to concentrate 100 brachas a day. But have kavana, the first bracha. That first cup of coffee. Don't rush into it while you're getting carpal, while you're getting them dressed, while you're still trying to put toothpicks to open up your eyes. Kavana. Take one moment. Shakol niye bidvar. I woke up. I'm alive. What a day. What a day. I had a meeting yesterday that I went for a walk around the lake with the person. And we passed someone else. They probably think I belong in the loony bin. So they nod, they said, hello. And I said, what a day. <laughs> I don't know what compelled me, but in that moment, you know, you have those Florida winter days where it's like a clear sky and a little cool, but the warmth of the sun on your cheek and it just feels like everything's going to be okay moments. So I just screamed, what a day at the person who, I don't know, probably like called to have me registered to... <laughs> restraining order against me or something. But what a day. What a day. Shakol, you woke up that cup of coffee. Shahakol is an announcement. What a day. What a day. I'm alive. What a day. It's filled with hope and promise. This will be my day, the day, the breakthrough day. My mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health, my relationships, what I long for, what I want professionally, personally. This is it. What a day. Shakol. If we could just get that first bracha of, that first bracha of the day. That's your homework. The first bracha of the day. That's it. To hold ourselves accountable and to grow from there. Tonight we go behind the beam with Jamie Geller. 
If you don't know Jamie Geller, she's an influencer, celebrity chef. Today she works for media, uh, chief media officer for Aish Outreach. She's really, really special, and it's going to be a great conversation tonight behind the Bima. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. <laughs>